Man, that was stressful, wasn't it? That's how life goes, though. And if, if for you that felt a little too close to home for real life, I want to ask you a question. Where do you find those moments in life where you finally get to exhale? Uh, for me, I'm finding that happens in the afternoon, uh, somewhere between 1 and 2 o'clock. Uh, about that time of day, I've already been at work seven or eight hours, so I'm rolling into a pretty uh, long work day at that point. And uh, there have been meetings and stressors and decisions and problems to solve, and, and I feel the stress of the workday just closing in on me, and yet I've got a few more hours yet to go. And so that's when I now um, grab my French press and my good friend Jeff Cook, who's on staff uh, with us here at, at St. John as our CFO, and I head to our break room. And when I go to our break room, uh, there I find my, uh, my uh, coffee bean grinder and my water pot, and uh, I get ready to make a, uh, a nice pot of French press coffee. Now, I'm a coffee fan. That is probably no secret to most people who know me. And yet there's something about this whole ritual that's more than just the coffee at the end. You know, it's, it's putting the beans in the, in the grinder and trying to get that, that perfect consistency like gravel and sand, pebbles and sand is, uh, is the consistency you're going for, and, and then heating the water and, and waiting for the water to come to a boil and then, and then letting it release some of the steam to go slightly off boil so it's at the perfect temperature. Uh, and then mixing all that together in the press, uh, stirring the bloom, setting the timer for four minutes. Uh, four minutes where I'm not trying to check my phone or multitask. I just wait and enjoy the silence, and maybe a little conversation, a few interruptions every once in a while from staff people who get beat away. Uh, and then when the timer beeps, uh, you finally get to, to plunge the grounds down to the bottom. And at the end of this, there are two strong cups of coffee, delicious in every way, but even better than that is the conversation that follows. It's become every day in the middle of a hectic day, my room to breathe. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, aren't there way too few moments like this in life and way too many moments like what we just saw in that video? It almost seems that busyness is a badge of honor in our culture, that being stressed out is a sign that you're doing life right. I mean, just ask someone how they're doing, and, and the answer will usually be uh, fine, then followed by busy. And if someone doesn't say they're busy, if, if someone seems too chill or relaxed in life, be honest, at least part of you is thinking, loser, right? Because busyness is a sign that, that you're going after it, you're winning, you're doing life in the right way. And, and don't get me wrong, I admire productivity and excellence and achievement as much as anyone you know, and yet there's something stifling, isn't there, about the way we do life? There's something suffocating about how we live. And I think part of the problem is that we have all fallen victim. We've all started believing what I call the great illusion of the and. The illusion of the and. You know, in life, we tend to believe that there are choices. You know, there are either or choices sometimes. Uh, things that we have to choose. So, uh, but, but we believe that if there's a, a place where we don't have to choose one or the other, but where we can do both, where we can say and, we, we believe that and is better. But I call this the illusion of the and because it's an illusion. You see, I may think that, oh, okay, I want to be a career man and a playboy and a romantic and a health nut. 
You know, I want the the 26.2 and the 70.3 sticker on my car. And I want to be the life of the party. I want to be a morning person and a night owl. I want to be the dad of the year and a par golfer. I want to be a a person who lives a, a luxury life. And I want to be extremely generous. And if I can have it all, why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I try? Won't that be a better life? It's the illusion of the and. And it's not only for me that I want these things. It's for my significant other. It's for my kids. I push my kids to believe that and is always better. And yet, it's an illusion. I I came across a a blog a couple of weeks ago that I think speaks to this so well. I want to share part of it with you about why this is an illusion. It says, the tendency of our lives, business, art, is to keep adding More furniture, clothes, gadgets, tasks, appointments, features to websites and apps, words to our writing or to our messages. Continual addition isn't sustainable or desirable. Get this, uh, too many things to do means we're always busy with no time for rest, stillness, contemplation, creativity, time with loved ones. Overwhelming customers, those of you who are in business, overwhelming customers with choices actually means, even though choices seem like a good thing, it actually means they're less likely to make an actual choice. They prefer that we would curate the best. Too many possessions is clutter, visual stress, cleaning, maintenance, debt, less happiness. Too many tasks makes it harder to focus on any one thing or to get anything done. Too many things we want to learn means we never learn anything well. I'm convinced that part of the reason that we find ourselves living life with no margin in terms of schedule, health, finance, relationships, is because we've believed this illusion of the and, that more is better, and it's not. Uh, Something else I came across in the last week, and I've been studying hard for this uh, series because I think it's important and I need this as much as anyone, is, is this concept that Seth Godin calls the moderation glitch. See, part of the reason the illusion of the and is so appealing to us is because we tend to believe that most things will respond in a linear way. You know, the more we put in, the more we get out. You know, if you want a hotter fire, you add more logs. If you want to get better at your sport, spend more time practicing in the gym and it will yield greater outcome. We tend to believe running more ads will result in more sales. More options will mean more customers. We, we tend to believe that things respond in this linear way, but actually we're finding that most things don't respond in a linear way in life. Most things actually respond like this. Let's take a look at this. What this means is that there's this sweet spot There is this place of moderation where you maximize your input for the maximal output. And then beyond that, it actually doesn't taper off. It actually goes downhill. And and we all know this is true in some things in life, right? One brownie tastes great. Two brownies, even better. Four brownies, you feel sick. Uh, You know, if you're living in a house that's too small for your family, it may make you crazy. You're bumping into each other. There's all kinds of stress. There's too many people in too little of a space. So actually, buying a bigger house may actually alleviate some of of that tension, some of that stress. It may make you happier. Moving into a castle may actually have the reverse effect. It may cause you to be isolated and broke and have too much to do to keep up. See, the reason the illusion of the and doesn't work is because things don't just keep going as we add more. There's this point where things actually turn on us. They go downhill. And and for some of you, light bulbs are going off right now. 
Because you have tried things in life and, and they've responded and they've worked for you and you keep trying the same thing and, and it quit working a long time ago. In fact, things have soured and, and you don't understand what went wrong. This is what went wrong. So there's this great illusion of the end that keeps feeding this idea that more will be better, more and more and more, and yet the opposite uh, is, is sometimes true, that less is more. In life these days, it's like we're living in the middle of an all-you-can-eat buffet. There are so many options. There are so many things available to us. And yet, <laughs> if you're anything like me, there are two things universally true about how I feel when I leave a buffet. I feel stuffed, and I feel like taking a shower. And that's kind of how we're living life. See, if, if you want to find room to breathe, um, we're going we're to talk about that in just a minute. We're going to begin talking about it. And it's going to be a difficult thing. But, but to begin this thing, you're going to have to humble yourself. And you're going to have to learn from a guy who knows nothing about your 21st century life. Who knows nothing about your gadgets and your schedule and, and your, your, you know, all the things that you've got going in life. He knows nothing about that because he's been dead for over 2,500 years. And yet, if you humble yourself, he's a guy who learned a lot about living a life where there was room to breathe, and you can learn a lot about living a life where there's room to breathe, too, from him. Uh, his name's Daniel, and we're going to look at the book that bears his name, Daniel chapter 1, starting at verse 1. So you can open up your Bibles right now. Uh, you can take out your smartphone or your uh, tablet. You can go to youversion.com, click on the live tab, type in STJ, STL, and uh, you'll find a menu for our service that allows you to follow along with the reading, submit online prayer requests, um, even to give online. There's all kinds of options for you there to download some of our weekend communication pieces. Uh, that's there for you. The words are also up here on the screen. Let's take a look at Daniel chapter 1. Find some room to breathe. Uh, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So I'm not going to get into a lot of history, but here's what you need to know. Um, at this point, God's people, Israel, the nation of Israel, has been divided into north and south. Uh, the north has already been defeated. The south is known as Judah. And they're about to be defeated by this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the biggest power of the day, the biggest empire of the day. Uh, but before they are defeated, Nebuchadnezzar has a very interesting strategy which made him very successful in building an empire. Uh, we'll take a look at what it is here. Uh, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of his God. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar took those articles, next verse, uh, carried off the temple, uh, carried off these articles to the temple of his God in Babylonia, and put, the put them in the treasure house of his God. So, so Nebuchadnezzar would, would claim the religious artifacts from the defeated people, and he'd take them into the temple of his God, and it was kind of this, this uh, religious melting pot. A way of saying, hey, you know what? It's okay if, if you worship your gods. We're just going to all bring them into one big house and everyone can worship their gods and, and that's okay. We'll have stability in our empire. Uh, but, but he did something else. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, king of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. So this is interesting. What Nebuchadnezzar does before he totally decimates a nation is he brings out the brightest and the best. He deports them from uh, that nation for two reasons. One, you know, if you take away all of the leaders, 
the people are a lot easier to, to defeat. You know, you take away the leadership, the people aren't going to rebel, they're not going to have some sort of insurrection, there'll be no great last stand, they'll, they'll crumble re- really easily if you take all their leaders away. But also, if you take the youngest, the brightest, and the best away, you bring them in, you ply them with good food, wine, culture, you have a chance to indoctrinate them and actually win them over to not being uh, adversaries, but advocates of your empire and its agenda. This is something Nebuchadnezzar did all the time, and he does it in Israel as well. Watch what happens next. Uh, The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. It's a great privilege. And they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they they were to enter into the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from southern Israel, from Judah. A guy by the name of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. Uh, This is common, you know, you you strip someone of their name, that means you're moving part of their identity. All of their names were built off the name of the Hebrew God, either with the the part of the name Yah for Yahweh or El for for, uh, God, the Hebrew word for God. Uh, So he changes their names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. To Azariah, Abednego. So he brings these four guys out of of Israel, four of the brightest and best. He he changes their name. He brings them into training. And uh, he's basically trying to brainwash them, to make them advocates of the Babylonian way. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So here we finally land on this guy, Daniel. And he's fascinating. Because here he is, this young guy, uh, aristocracy, nobility, probably back in, in Judah. He's brought into the biggest empire of the day, to the greatest city. You know, this is the New York City or something of its day. Culture, riches, he, he's, he's rubbing elbows with the elite. He's being fed from the king's table. We think about living in a land of opportunity here in the States. I mean, Babylon was that land of opportunity. All kinds of possibilities open for Daniel, and so he had this choice. You know, the choice that a lot of us have. Is he going to believe the illusion of the and? You know, will Daniel try to be a faithful Hebrew servant, you know, remain true to his Hebrew roots and worship the God of the Bible, and try to be a cosmopolitan official in the land of Babylon? Now think, for, for a young man especially, this must have been really tempting for Daniel. And yet Daniel doesn't fall for the illusion of the end. He decides he's going to pursue one future, one vision for his life, and that vision is he's going to be faithful to his God. Will he serve the king of Babylon? Absolutely, but not at the expense of being faithful to his God. There's no end for Daniel. And let me just tell you, this is where finding room to breathe starts. With with getting a clear, singular vision for your life. A clear, singular vision for your future. Now, now some of you are thinking, man, I've got more vision and future than you know what to do with, boy. And that may be true. The the problem is that most of us have, have three or four visions for our life. We have three or four futures planned out that we are all trying to pursue simultaneously. We have got these, these multiple conflicting, competing visions for life that simply don't play along well with each other. It's got to be a clear and singular vision for your life. Remember the illusion of the end. It's an illusion. 
And, and so the question we have to start asking ourselves is the question that Daniel had to answer for himself. If I can't be anything else, what must I be? You know, if I can't be anything else, what must I be? Clear and singular. And the reason we don't do this is because it's hard. I mean, I'm a guy who doesn't even have a will yet, because I, I, it's just too much. This is overwhelming. To figure out one clear and singular vision for what my future is, one where I don't have all these interests competing against each other. And yet, if you want to find room to breathe, time management isn't going to do it. You can manage your time better, and all it will mean is that you will find ways to pack more things in until you arrive at a clear and singular vision for your life, a focused vision for your future. Uh, you know, if, if you want to do this, uh, I'd encourage you to start, it's kind of morbid, but uh, begin with the end in mind. Start with your funeral, uh, funeral eulogy. You know, think about the day when, when people gather to celebrate your life and to mourn you, and, and think about the things that you want people to say about you. Uh, more than that, think about, think about the things that if, if someone doesn't say them about you, you feel like you will have failed at life. What must they say about you in that moment? I mean, sure, they could say a lot of nice things, and, you know, we'd all like a really long list, and we hope there's a lot of nice things to say, but, but what must they say? And then back it up from there. Begin to think about what that looks like for you to pursue that above everything else in the next one, three, five years. Sit down and talk with those people who are closest to you and share them uh, with them this, this vision so, so that they can tell you if you're crazy or not and, and you can begin to get clarity because until you have a clear, singular vision for your life and your future, you will never, ever, ever find room to breathe. See, once you find that vision, though, it will clarify a lot of things. You'll begin to look at your life and you'll say, what am I pursuing that doesn't serve that vision or actually works against it? And then you can begin to get rid of stuff. And, and, and again, this is where it gets really scary because, because if, I, if I actually define myself after one thing, you know, if I'm going to chase after one thing above everything else, what if I leave something behind that I actually kind of like? And what if I see other people pursuing that and I feel regret? Or, or what if I feel like I lose the competition of life? And you know what? You, you will lose in some areas. And yet you've got a plan where you want to lose so that you can win in the area where you must win. See, this is what Daniel does as a young man. It's, it's really remarkable that he had this figured out from such a young age, but it makes all the difference. Watch. It says, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. So, so Daniel makes this bold request. I mean, he's kind of a political prisoner who should just be grateful, but he says, hey, you know, can I have permission not to eat this, this rich food you're putting before me? Because it doesn't meet the laws of my God. It's, it's, not, it's not the vision I have for my life. I'm not going to defile myself with these, this food that's been offered to idols and, and uh, is against my dietary custom. Uh, so he makes this bold ask, but God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please, just test your servants for ten days. Uh, give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men. 
who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Here you have a guy who is sold out on his vision for life. And this is how you know where you're, you're getting to the right place, where you, where you find that, that true vision that really matters to you, because you will find a peace of spirit. Uh, for most of us, when we get challenged about the way we do life, two things, one of two things happens. We either get insecure, we, we want to you know, give in and start following other people, or we find ourselves getting defensive. We dig in, and, and we want to evangelize everyone to our ways. But Daniel doesn't do that. He says, you know what? J- just try it. I so believe in what I'm pursuing in life that you could just test me for 10 days, and, and let's see. Let's see whose way is better. My way, which is God's way, or, uh, or your way. Uh, j- just just let, us, let us test you. This is a guy who's confident in his vision. Let's look at how it goes. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Now, this isn't a powerful lesson for you. That when you find that vision, when you pursue it, that singular vision for life, when when you're willing to be a nonconformist, but not in an activistic kind of way, but in that quiet confidence, you will thrive. You will thrive. Just watch. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king, the three years, uh, to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, the king. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So he even outlived King Nebuchadnezzar. See, this is powerful. This is so powerful. That that in life, if you pursue that that singular, clear vision for your life, uh, you will far surpass people who don't have a clear vision of life. Uh, These guys fared ten times better than everyone else because they knew what they were pursuing in life and they knew what they weren't pursuing in life. And, And you know, this isn't even a Christian principle. This is just a universal principle that God has ordained. And if you are not a Christ following person, if, if you don't consider yourself at that place in your life yet, you know, this works for you. Just, just find something in life to pursue. Get clear, get focused, get singular, and you will blow by everyone else. You will find a life that is more manageable. You will find a life where you have more margin. You'll find a life where there's greater room to breathe. It works for anyone. It's, it's just a universal thing. And yet, let me tell you this. If you don't want just a life where there's room to breathe, if, if you're looking for something that's more than just a, a life that's manageable, if you really want to hit the jackpot, if you want a life that is, that is really rich, th- then do this. Don't just pursue a clear singular vision for your life, but find a way to build a clear singular vision for your life off God's vision for life. See, see that's the difference maker. God is always the X factor. So so you can pursue a clear singular vision and you can have margin 
and you can be successful. And yet when you build your vision off God's vision for your life, God will bless you exponentially. That's what happened with Daniel. See, Daniel's success wasn't just that he had a plan and he worked a plan. No, because Daniel built his vision for life off of God's vision for his life. God took care of everything else. It it says that God gave him wisdom and knowledge that he wouldn't have had otherwise. God even gave him the ability to interpret visions and dreams. God blessed him abundantly and granted him favor in the eyes of the king. See, God is always the X factor. And so if you, if you want a life that is not just manageable, but that is really full, that is really rich, find a way to build that vision off of God's vision for your life. A few hundred years later, Jesus stood on the planet after Daniel lived, and he quoted these words. He said, but seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. So he's saying, you know, if if you pursue a singular vision that is built on God's vision for your life, if you pursue his interest for your life above everything else, do you know how the rest of this goes? The promise? He says, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, that's what I mean when I say that God is the X factor. And and many of us think that if we begin to pursue a life that is built on God's vision for life, that we're going to live a life of deprivation. Right? If, if I pursue God's kingdom and his righteousness, that may be the right thing to do. It may be a good thing to do. But that's going to be a boring, deprived, empty, not very fun life. It's what we think, isn't it? And yet Jesus says, no, no, no. And Daniel exemplifies this, that when you get the vision right, when you build your life off God's vision, not only do you thrive, not only do you find room to breathe, not only do you find success and blessing, but you get everything else as well. When, when you pursue the and in your life, you'll make a mess of life. When God supernaturally blesses you with the and, then you'll live a life that's well-ordered. A life where blessings can be blessings instead of curses. That's something that only God can do. And, and to those of you who don't believe this, who still believe that God is trying to hold out on you and pursuing his kingdom is a way to live a very empty life, what makes you think that about God? I mean, what makes you think that God is holding out on you? God has withheld nothing from you. Just look at this incredible planet that he's given as a gift to people like us. What has God withheld from you? He's withheld nothing. He's given everything. He's given even his son, especially his son, so so that we could be free and have life, Not, not life in a skimpy way, but life to the full. See, you can have a singular focused vision, and it will be a more manageable life. But if you want a life that's not only manageable, where there's margin, where there's room to breathe, but if you want a life that's blessed supernaturally, where God is the X factor, then you've got to find a way to build your clear singular vision for your future off God's vision for life. So, so, you know, how do you do that? Some of you are like, okay, tell me about it. Well, there are a lot of ways to do that. Come back to church. Come back often, you know, not once a month or when it fits into your schedule or when you have time. We make it so easy here. I mean, you, you can join on the live stream. We've got service times, and they're all the same now. And you can come Saturday night. And we had, you know, 350-plus people here last night, and it was an awesome service. We make it easy for you. Come back to church regularly, because at this church, more than any church I've ever been a part of, we talk about what it looks like to live life with a God-centered vision, to seek first the kingdom, and to open up your life to receive everything else that God has for you. You know, take a look at the Growing Deeper. I mean, we write these for you every series. You should have gotten them on the way in, and if you didn't, someone's in trouble. 
but you'll get them on the way out. Uh, you can download these from our website as well, a message study that goes along with the things I'm talking about today that'll take you further into Daniel and into this theme. Uh, that's ready for you every, every series. Uh, live the one one fifteen six. We, we make it simple. We say, if you do four things, and they're represented by four numbers, one one fifteen six, you you will thrive in life. That's how you build a life that's based off God's vision for your life. And if you want to know more about that, stop by our info station or look around on our website. Uh, and another thing is uh, that's just been so helpful in my life are reading good Christian books. And there are all kinds of Christian books out there that describe how to live a God-centered vision. And uh, in the next few weeks, I want to highlight one of them for you. It's called The Daniel Plan. Um, because it's coming out right now, and it's, you know, based off Daniel, so why not? Um, and for those of you who, who need a new vision of life, you, you sense that, and you know that, that getting healthier in terms of physical health, but also relationships, uh, you, you know that that's an important part of your life right now, that that has to be a part of this vision. Um, we're going to be talking more in the next couple of weeks about the Daniel plan, or we're going to be encouraging our small groups to do it. There are going to be new opportunities for you to join a small group for 40 days to walk through this. Uh, there are workbooks and DVDs and all kinds of great stuff just to help you think more intentionally about life. There are all kinds of ways that you can do that, but it's not quick and it's not easy. And it will take asking and seeking and listening from God himself to impart to you a vision for your life that is in line with his vision for your life. But when you do it, remember God's the X factor. And he'll not only give you room to breathe, but he can give you everything else as well. And so here's what I want you to do. Uh, right now, will everyone please stand? If you're at home, you can stand too. Because there's just something about a new year, right, uh, that is filled with new opportunity. There's something about the power of a do-over in life, a fresh start. And today I just talked about a new way of, of living, you know, we, we talked about that and what that might look like, and yet I know some of you are skeptical because you've been around the block and you've crossed New Year's and you've had resolutions and all those things just fizzle out within a few weeks. And so you're skeptical about living life with a new clear vision, a focused vision. You're not sure that that's actually possible for you. But if that's you today, I just want you to hear the promise of Jesus. Uh, it says this in, in the book of Revelation. It says, He who was seated on the throne said, this is Jesus talking, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. That's a promise Jesus makes to us. A promise that we can claim now, that we can be made new, that the thirst we have in life for greater wholeness and fullness and room to breathe, that, that he can satisfy that without cost. And so I ask you today, before the God who searches the heart, do you want to be made new? If so, say, I do. And do you acknowledge that inside of you, there is this sinful nature that is fighting against the renewing work of God, that is, that is craving other things than the things that God can give, the things that actually satisfy. If you acknowledge that sinful struggle, struggle right now, say, I do acknowledge. And I acknowledge that struggle as well. But I ask you today, do you trust Jesus who has accomplished everything? Do you trust his death? Do you trust his resurrection? Do you believe that he has given everything necessary for you to be made new today? If so, say, this I believe. 
well, then your faith is not in vain because Jesus has the power and he has accomplished everything necessary for you to be made new today. Your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And Jesus now wants to come to you in a powerful way.